Hey everyone, this is usually the time I tell you about our email newsletter, but I wanted to talk to you about something else. As of January 2023, It's All Journalism is hosted on Spotify's Megaphone platform, so you can subscribe to our podcast there, or you can continue subscribing, listening, or download new episodes of our podcast at Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Audible, or just about anywhere you can find podcasts. But wherever you find us, please subscribe so you won't miss an episode and like and share us on your social media. And now, this week's episode. But they're stories that are especially grounded in facts that you know to be true as long as you do your double checking and things like that. It gives you a really good advantage when in finding stories that other people are not covering. While data reporting may seem daunting, today's guest is an investigative reporter who teaches data reporting. She says all reporters should be doing it, and it's not as difficult as you might think. I'm Michael O'Connell. Welcome to It's All Journalism. Samantha Sunny is a freelance journalist based in New Orleans, Louisiana. She is the recipient of four national grants and several awards for investigative reporting, with work published in NPR, The Washington Post, and NOLA.com, among others. Last December, Rutledge published Data Plus Journalism, a story-driven approach to learning data reporting, a book Samantha co-authored with Mike Riley. And she's here to talk about the book and uh, data reporting in general. Welcome to the podcast, Samantha. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk about the book. Well, good. And I'm excited to talk to you about the book and data journalism as well, data reporting. I usually like to start this interview out by asking people how they got into journalism, but I also like to, with data reporters, data journalists, you know, which came first for you? Was it data or was it journalism? You know, what brought you to this point? That's an interesting question. I don't think I've gotten that one before. So it was definitely journalism that got me started down this path. And in fact, it was even a little further toward the other side because I got into journalism just from reading books. Like I just read a lot of books when I was in high school and I figured that was a good enough reason to go into a career or an education where I was reading and writing for a living. So when I got to university, I started discovering data and also investigative reporting as a subset of journalism. And that led me farther down that line where I started discovering sort of more new cutting edge techniques for reporting and things like that. And now I would say that I do all of those things. Investigative journalism, is that something that just kind of appealed to your personality that, you know, that's the type of journalism you really wanted to get into? Yeah, I think it it appealed to me personally, and I was lucky enough to go to a university where an association is based that's called IRE, Investigative Reporters and Editors. And they also had one of the only data classes in the country at that time. So the University of Missouri had a class. I forget what it was called, but I think it was called data reporting or something like that. And what appealed to me back then, I think as a, as a sophomore or a junior at university, was that it seemed like the data class really drilled down to finding things that were happening and finding trends that way, as opposed to finding trends from word of mouth or just sort of theories, and then looking for evidence to back up a theory. That method is not necessarily a bad method to go with, but Data itself really appealed to me because it seemed like it was especially a way to find cold, hard facts 
in a way that talking to people or compiling anecdotes wasn't. And I know that there are lots of journalists out there who interviewing people is not their, their favorite thing, not saying that you don't like interviewing people, but, you know, they do a lot of research and, you know, they dig into documents and things like that. So there are lots of different types of journalism out there. Yeah, I definitely don't want to sort of disparage another method of journalism, which comes from anecdotes or primarily from interviews or primarily scene setting. We all know that finding the human interest within a story, finding a way for readers to connect with a story is one of the most vital parts of what you do when creating that story. So those are definitely extremely important. And I think those aspects go together really well with data in the sense that if you have both of those, if you have data showing a trend and you have anecdotes or quotes or a really compelling human level story from a source, if you put those two together, you end up with a story that is both compelling and very informative and tends to be really new. So it tends to hit a lot of those different goals of journalism. Like I tell my students, a lot of times you have, you know, maybe six different goals you're trying to reach with a story. So you want it to be new, you want it to be relevant, you want it to be interesting, you want it to be informative, you obviously want it to be true and accurate. And if you can combine data, even just a little bit of data, with an anecdote or with a human story, like with good quotes and a good narrative, then I think you end up hitting a lot of those basic goals of journalism that we're all sort of shooting for all the time. Yeah, and I think that's probably what a lot of the appeal is that for some people who are more traditional journalists is that they're looking for something to sort of bolster the, you know, give their, their reporting a little depth and a little greater context. I mean, you can think of something as, as simple as, you know, the weather. Suddenly, it seems like we got a lot, of, a lot of rain this last week. I wonder if that's a trend. And then suddenly, guess what? That's data that you're, <laughs> that you're going back and looking through and assembling and saying and drawing, being able to draw some conclusions from. In your experience, you're an investigative reporter with, you know, sort of a data bent, but for you, do you find the stories come from like a data set first? And then you say, huh, I know that's interesting. I wonder how that plays out across a larger story. That's also an interesting question. I would say I do both. And sometimes people ask me, like you just did, how does it work? Like, especially as a longtime freelancer, I often get asked by employers or colleagues if I find stories just by sort of sifting through data or if I start with a theory and I try to find data to test that theory. Or thirdly, if I'm just sort of talking to people and looking for story ideas very broadly and then looking into data after that to see if there is a story there. So those are all pretty valid methods for finding stories. I would say in a very sort of literal short-term sense, if you're a reporter who's trying to find stories and especially trying to find stories that other people are not, then I would highly recommend starting with data. So one example that I like to give is in the state of Missouri, at the University of Missouri, where I was studying, I found out that there's a data set on animal control inspections. And I found out that there was a place in my college town in Missouri that had one of the worst records for animal welfare. And it actually hadn't been reported on at all, even though it was in this college town. And it had showed up in the local newspapers and local media, but mostly as kind of cute profile stories or stories about like a petting zoo 
event that they did. And so those are definitely worthwhile stories. We should always cover, you know, fun events for the community and stuff. But it was really striking to me that no one had covered that this exact facility that was hosting petting zoo events and things was actually one of the worst offenders in the state for animal welfare. So that's an example where the story clearly came from the data. And even though it was in a college town that is just chock full of journalists because so many students go to study journalism there, no one had actually discovered that story because no one knew that this data set existed. So you might not know that these data sets are out there. That's something we cover a little bit at the beginning of the book is basically where do you get data? That's a good question that a lot of people start off with. But if you're aware that data is available in general, if you're aware that people publish it, if the, that the government tracks it, then that gives you a huge leg up in finding stories that other people are not. And like I said, they're not just stories, but they're stories that are especially grounded in facts that you know to be true, as long as you do your double checking and things like that. And so I think it's a, it's, it gives you a really good advantage when in finding stories that other people are not covering. I should give the caveat that just because it is data doesn't mean that it's automatically true. So Or good data. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, of course, a lot of data out there is accurate. I mean, I definitely can, you know, give a lot more details about what data is more likely to be accurate or not. But we have to remember that data itself still comes from humans, at least most of the time. So it's definitely entirely possible that a government employee was writing down someone's name and they misspelled it, or it's possible that the data was collected from people all around the country and some of those people didn't know how they were supposed to fill out the paperwork. So there is still reporting and due diligence involved when you're using data. You should always be checking data to make sure that it's accurate before you go ahead and publish it. But it is still a bit of information that's at the root of an issue in the way that things like word of mouth are not quite as much. So I still do think it's especially valuable, but I should stress that you should always be checking your data as you're using it. It's not infallible. No, these are not tablets handed down from God. These are things that you know you need to follow up on and check on. Let's talk a little bit about the book. The subtitle is A Story-Driven Approach to Learning Data Reporting. So this is, I mean, is it a how-to book? Is it an instructional book? What were you and Mike Riley thinking about when you um, decided to do this book? It's a very hands-on, I think, easy-to-use introduction to data journalism. So we wrote it with professional journalists in mind as well as students. There are a lot of professional journalists out there who are, of course, very practiced at the art of journalism itself, but may not know how to use a spreadsheet, for instance, or they may have heard of data and they've heard all their friends talking about how cool it is, but they haven't tried using it themselves. So it's very hands-on in the sense that the book walks you through how to find data, how to use it, how to make sure it's accurate, and also really importantly, how to maximize it for storytelling in a journalistic way. So data journalism as a practice is different from other data fields like data analysis or a software engineer who might work in a completely different industry, like they work for Microsoft or something. Data journalism combines data with storytelling. So as I said earlier, it's always very important to keep your human connections in mind when you're writing any story. And that 
It definitely includes data journalism. So the book is very focused on that intersection, which is rather unique in the world where you're learning math and hands-on techniques to an extent. You're learning how to make a computer do it for you, but you're also combining it with the really tried and true storytelling techniques that we've all learned as journalists and that have served us so well for so long. We've had guests on before talking about data reporting. We've talked about specific projects. I'm thinking of one, it was about sort of the rise of um, hate-related incidents around the country. And I think it was done by ProPublica a few years back. And one of the problems that they ran into is they wanted to have a national story, but there was no, it's like each state and each locality, each you know police department had a different reporting standard or, you know, they, they would collect this information, but, you know, the a town, on, you know, on the other side of the state wouldn't do it in the same way. And that sort of made it difficult. Is that, is that something that you've run into where, you know, as you span and try to work in other, you know, municipalities and other types of groups, that becomes difficult then to try to find a, a common data point that you can report? That's a good point. So there are some outlets that I think do a very good job of compiling data from many sources and creating a really good, well-reported, engaging story on it. So the Associated Press's data team comes to mind. So it's definitely doable, but it is true that the farther you get removed from the source of a data point, the more sort of suspicious it becomes. I don't know if suspicious is the best word to use, but, questionable maybe or yeah questionable. trustworthy trustworthy yes maybe. the more questioning you should be of it perhaps and that's just because like you said if you're looking at a national data set of hate crimes for instance the definition of hate crime is actually going to vary from state to state and it might vary from town to town or from person to person and so that right there is one wrinkle in the data analysis that might pop up where if one incident happens in Vermont, let's say, that exact same incident might not be considered a, a hate crime in another state. So that's one thing to keep in mind. And then also, when you're looking at a national data set like that, a lot of times it's compiled from many different sources. So it might be compiled from 50 different states, or there are other data sets like the FBI tracks crimes in the U.S., that are entered by every law enforcement agency in the United States. I forget how many law enforcement agencies it is now, but it's a lot. So anytime you're compiling or aggregating data, that increases the chances that someone made a mistake or they didn't understand the instructions or they have their own different rules. And so that's one aspect of data reporting to keep in mind is that if you're doing a national story, it can be great in many ways because you can have a national audience, it might hold national interest, you might even find a federal data set, which means it might be easier to work with and easier to locate, but it comes with some dangers as well. So then there can be a flip side to that where working with local data might be harder to get, but is closer to the source. To get back to your book, what's the big takeaway that you want a person who takes this book and understand it, what would you like them to be able to do when they read it? You know, is it something that they're going to be able to, you know, take action on? Is it going to be something that they're going to be able to think differently about and have sort of a plan of uh, attack, I guess, for collecting data or using data in their reporting? 
Yes, I would like to see people introduce data into their workflow as a reporter. I'm very aware that basically all journalists out there are very busy. <laughs> we're all trying to meet deadlines. We're all trying to publish stories. Even if we're working on more sort of long-term or in-depth stories, basically everyone is busy. And we don't necessarily want to spend a lot of time learning new skills, especially if you're not sure you're going to use them a whole lot. So I really want people to understand that data just this word data might sound somewhat intimidating or it might sound like a lot of work or something you have to go back to school to learn about, but it actually can be extremely simple and it can fit into your existing workflow really well. There are a lot of tools out there that are easy to simply plug in, or if you want to start working with spreadsheets, which are the files that are in tools like Microsoft Excel, they're often much, much more easy to work with than you might think. And then the upside to doing so is that it makes your reporting much more powerful. It can make it much more efficient. So you can do a, a lot of things much faster than you used to. You can find new stories more easily, like I talked about. You can test your evidence more easily. And it also can help you just kind of find a new edge to your reporting or add to your job or your beat that you might not have been doing earlier. So I would really recommend that reporters keep their minds open when they think about using data. They may honestly find that it only takes about 10 minutes to learn to do something and that something may save them hours down the line. So just kind of getting over the idea of data being intimidating or hard to learn, I think is really important for journalists I mean, and for everyone overall at this point, because data has become such a huge part of our lives both in reporting and also just in our work and in our lives overall. Are there any pitfalls or challenges that people encounter when, you know, they've done the reporting, they've gotten their, their data and have verified it, and they're getting to this point of now they've got to decide how they, they need to present it. That part of the, the process, I think, for some people could be difficult. What are your thoughts on that? That's a good question. In the book, Mike Riley, who had the original idea for the book, he wanted to arrange the chapters in chronological order as a reporter might do it. So we start with finding data, we work through cleaning, which means making sure it's correct and, and ordered in a way that we can analyze, and then moving on to analysis, and then storytelling or publication, which is the part that you just mentioned. A lot of times when people think of publication for data journalism, they think of data visualization. So that's things like charts and maps and maybe interactive graphics or infographics. And that's definitely one way to publish data. But any journalism story that uses data, so any story that even mentions a data point or a story where the reporter sorted a spreadsheet in order of biggest to smallest number of violations, for instance. Laid them across a map or something. Exactly. Yeah, that is data journalism. And that's another really good point to get across, I think, is that if you're doing any of that stuff, if you're using data at all in a spreadsheet or you're using it in another tool that may or may not be more advanced, you're still doing data journalism. And so it still takes advantage of those upsides to data journalism I mentioned, where it gives you 
an advantage in finding stories and establishing trends and things like that. Data visualization is another form of publication. So that's more of a visual form rather than writing or broadcast or audio or something like that. And that can be one method, but not everyone wants to do data visualization. There are some very easy to use tools out there and the book does go over how to do it. But I want to make sure everyone understands that as long as you're using data in some way in a story to inform your readers, then that is data journalism. Yeah. Before we we had this, uh, we started this conversation, you wanted to talk about the DEI chapter, which is that? So DEI stands for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. And it might not be an acronym that everyone's familiar with, but I think everyone has probably been hearing more and more conversations about diversity and equality in journalism overall. So those conversations have been happening among the data journalists as well. And Mike had the idea to add a bonus chapter to the book that would be available to everyone. So it's actually available for free on the book website, dataplusjournalism.com, that goes over tools and techniques for keeping diversity and equity and inclusion in mind while doing data reporting. So some of those techniques exist in other parts of journalism as well. So those are things like checking polling data to see if it accounts for cultural differences or checking for racial bias in data collection and things like that. I think it's a very good goal to keep in mind for all journalists at this point. And Mike and I noticed that there hasn't been a whole lot of guidance published on that topic in in the specific realm of data reporting. So we hope that this bonus chapter is a really good just sort of addendum or helpful guide that will help people think about these concepts. And it's one of those goals that I think every reporter should ideally keep in mind for every story, just like they keep in mind newsiness and relevance and fairness and balance and things like that. So it's something that I'm definitely still interested in and still sort of working on. I think there's also a lot more collaboration and a lot more guidance that will be coming out on that topic of diversity and equity in journalism and also in data in specific. But we think that this chapter should hopefully be a good contribution to that ongoing discussion. And I think it's something that needs to be part of every aspect of our career and the way we do our jobs, the places we work, the people we talk to, the stories we write about. And so as we're all learning new things, as we're learning, you know, from your book, how to use data in our reporting, why not like fold this in and make this part of that process? Because it's only going to reinforce what you should already be doing anyway. Exactly. And, you know, I think we all probably know, at least in the U.S., that unfortunately, public trust in the media has been declining. It did increase a little bit in 2016 and 2017, but it is back on the decline again. And the rate of public trust in the media is unfortunately very low in the United States. So keeping DEI goals in mind while doing reporting is one way to start building that trust up again, especially with underserved communities. And also with people overall, especially younger readers tend to value DEI as a value that they find very important. So even if you personally don't necessarily see the immediate need to prioritize that factor in your reporting, 
it's something that I'd like to see everyone go for, because like I said, we all would like to see trust in the media go up. We would like to see fair representation go up. And I think we'd like to see our work and the and the industry involve. So I think there have been a lot more conversations on those topics in the last few years, and I think they're going to keep going. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's a good thing for everybody, and not just journalists, but for, for the country as well. This has been fascinating. I, I think I'm actually, I did not read the book before we started, but I actually think I'm going to get a copy of it because data reporting is one of those things. Having done this podcast for a while, a lot of the times the at the beginning, our data conversations were, you know, what is a data reporter? You know, what is the data reporter of the newsroom? And there are a lot of newsrooms who were, you know, well, we need to set up a, a data team. But with the way, you know, the newsrooms are shrinking and uh, we have digital startups coming in to fill different niche audiences or address different niche audiences. I mean, to your point about let's train all the journalists to understand what data journalism is and think about using it in their reporting. Yes, I think it can take a few different forms. I mean, of course, everyone is welcome to read it from cover to cover, but I think a lot of people will also use it as something of a reference guide. You know, if you want to be someone who can use Excel or you want to maybe dip your toes into writing code, you can use the book to just open up and see what you're supposed to do. There's definitely no, you know, need to read every single page. But like I said, it's very hands-on and Mike and I are both very experienced teachers in this space. So I think we've done a good job of creating a resource where you can pick it up and you can pretty easily learn how to fit these tools and techniques into what you're already doing and how to do it in a way that makes sense and, and makes your life easier. Excellent. Any opportunity to learn something new. Samantha, thanks for coming on the podcast. I really enjoyed our conversation. I am going to buy this book. Yeah, no, this seems like right up my alley. Anyway, Very thanks much. for coming on. All right. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter. You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. Speaking of subscribing, you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere good podcasts are found. If you'd like to help us grow our podcast, like and share our episodes on social media. Look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicola Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Capre wrote our theme music. Emilio Brust helped with our booking. Steph Thomas is our social media manager. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening.